What's up, bitches, and welcome back to Nerdgasm. I am your host, Caleb Coho. Back again, the most competent host we could find on this channel, because I know what I'm doing, and luckily I have the adults here with me today as well. Uh, joining me uh, is my supervisor, the person who follows behind me and picks up my mess every time I fuck up. It's Cody Newberry. How are you doing, Cody? Great, great. Um, the reason I'm not is because my kids are playing some Mickey Mouse games in the back that I can hear. So uh, not great for me to main host. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for this match. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, Nico almost beat Kirk last time, which I think is the biggest fluke. I think he's still mad about that. Jacoby beat Boatman, but that was contested too because I think that could have went either way. So this is an exciting matchup. I can't wait to see this. The winner gets to play that Shelobe uh, Robert Parker to go against Tim. It's this is going to be an intense match. Tim's not here anymore to judge because influencing his title picture. But these two, they hate each other too. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see what happens. All right, and uh, my other host, the man with the plan, back again. The big Canadian boss man, Brooklyn Vale, back in the judges' seat. Brooklyn, how you doing? It's uh, it's good to be back. I feel like it's been a very long time. Uh, you know, Kirk and Jacoby, I haven't really been kept keeping up with the uh, the nerd guys of lore, uh, but I know that these guys are really good debaters. Uh, so I'm excited. It's gonna be great. So fun fact: we didn't tell you this plot twist. This is all lost debate, right? Yes. All about lost. Yes. No? I'm getting the yes. I'm getting the I'm getting the red I quit. light. I quit. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting the red light. This is no longer a lost debate. Oh. Sorry. So close. It's like lost. It was all a dream. It was all a dream. Everybody. I'm not even gonna debate the other thing. I'm just gonna talk about why you're wrong, Cody, for like the next forty five. We're all minutes. dead. We're all dead. <laughs> it didn't matter. We, it's a yeah. turtle or something. I don't know. Stupid no. show. That's you just didn't bad. get it. You just didn't get it. That's why you don't That's like bad. it. You didn't get it. That's bad. If only you were smarter. Tim is going to hate us already. All right. So the way that main rounds work, there are going to be four main rounds. You guys got the questions submitted the answers. We did that already in the green room. So uh, the way it works is one minute opening, five minutes, three, four, debate between y'all and another minute closing on the end of it. So uh, we'll get right into it with your first question, which is who is the worst Star Trek villain? Who is the worst Star Trek villain? So, uh, Kirk, you'll be going first. One minute uh, for your opening when you start talking. Okay. Uh, Star Trek movies have always been hit or miss. Uh, the worst Star Trek movie is Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, it is basically just like an old script, uh, two-part script from the Next Generation show. Uh, they're like, hey, let's film this. And uh, everything about it's bad, everything about it's lackluster, including the villain, uh, Ruafo, Ru I don't even know how to pronounce it, by, uh, played by F. Mayor Abraham, who phones his performance in. Uh, it is a, 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 a dumb villain. Uh, not a good motivation, not a good character. Uh, it is it is not in any way entertaining or fun. Uh, he's not even like a tuner, uh, scenery tuning villain. He's just there. He's just there because the movie needs a bad guy, and he's taking up space. Uh, his plot is dumb. 
Uh, he doesn't have any good scenes or memorable scenes with any characters. Uh, he doesn't really factor into the Star Trek lore at all. Uh, he's just there, and the he's, the movie's over, and he's gone. Uh, so he is definitely. I mean, there's been some bad villains in Star Trek, but they had at least a little fun to him, a little camp, something. This character has nothing. It's it's the worst Star Trek villain, Rufaro. All right. So, Jacoby, you are up one minute for your opening when you start talking. Shinzon from Star Trek Nemesis is the worst Star Trek villain. There's a certain criteria for being a villain, and Shinzon fails to meet every one of those standards. He fails in his motivation with his half-hearted attempt to capture Picard to save his own life, undercut by the fact that he had Picard in his clutches easily at the beginning of the movie, and then let him go for no reason. His plans only get worse and more nonsensical from there. I mean, he fails in his character. Uh, characterization with a story that never once paints him as menacing or threatening. Instead, he's incredibly whiny and hisses at his henchmen in a way that fails Tom Hardy, the greatest actors of this generation, which is hard to do. He fails in being the twisted mirror image of a car, which is the whole point of his character. He fails in his design, looking more like an old school discount Power Ranger henchman than a big bad. And he fails the franchise by being in a movie so bad that stopped Star Trek movies with the Next Generation cast. Shinzon is hands down the worst Star Trek villain. Time. All right. Floor is open, gentlemen. Five minutes. Have at it. Uh, Jacoby, you talked a lot about all the things that uh, Shinzon was supposed to do and failed. And we could talk about a little more why you're, wrong, why you're wrong on that, why he actually succeeds in a lot of that. But at least they gave him something to do. Even if you want to say he doesn't do it, at least he's tr this character's trying to accomplish something, trying to do something. He has a point. He has a, 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 a meaning, even if it doesn't work out as well as you think it is. Uh, Rafo from Insurrection is utterly pointless. I mean, he's, his whole thing is, I don't want to get old. He's basically Cassandra from Doctor Who. He's got a horrible makeup, ridiculous character. There's no point to him. He really, he's, he's just there, again, to That's be the like a generic villain. No, he's there to be the, the main point of the movie because both of our villains are trying to do the same thing, right? Both of our villains are trying to survive. They're trying to fight off death. Shinzon is dying. It's Picard's blood. Ruafo is trying to get back to the planet with his exile. That gives him motivation. That gives him heart. That gives him something. And his through line from start to finish actually makes a lot of sense. When you talk about a villain who's just there, I don't know why you keep saying Ruafro is the worst villain because the, the worst villain is, is Admiral Dot, who's in your movie, who's the most stereotypical bad guy Admiral Corporation. He is the worst villain. Ruafo is actually has a strong motivation throughout the movie from start to finish. I agree with you. The Admiral is this generic, like this generic, like bad guy hidden as a good guy. And Ruafo is his generic bad guy partner. That's, I mean, they're, they're, they're symbiotic. They're, they're two of the same kind. They're, they're, they both make really bad villains for a really bad story. Uh, Sinjon, at least he, he does, he does a great job marrying Picard and he brings a lot out of Picard. He brings a lot out of uh, uh, Patrick Stewart and his performance. And he actually does something, interacts with the characters and makes the characters in the story better. Uh, neither of these movies are great, but uh, Sinjon is not the problem with Nemesis. Ruafo is a big you know who, problem with insurrection. You know who brings out a better part of Picard is the insurrection plot, where he's actually on the planet trying to deal with mortality and where he falls in love with the people that Ruafo was trying 
Shinzon is supposed to bring out a huge part of Picard being his mirror image, and it fails at that. Shinzon does nothing throughout his movie. At least Ruafo actually has execution and has balls and is a scary villain by killing people. Shinzon, the only scary thing Shinzon does in his movie is imagine himself in a sex dream with Troy. That's it. He he says he's going to kill people if they disrespect him, and he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do take any action people. in his movie. Ruafo actually takes uh, actually takes action. The first thing uh, Sinjun does in this movie is disintegrates the entire Romulan Senate. I mean, he's a cold blooded no, murderer. Was, and not, yeah. that, was, that was the Romulan commander. That was the Romulan commander who did under, that. Who under, betrays under, him under, later under, on. Under Sinjun's command. But Sinjun, yeah, he's whiny. He's, he, he's, he's sniffling. He's a politician. He's a mastermind. He's not a big, he's not a man of action. He's a plotter. He's been plotted. That's a, his storyline is he was taken as a as a child and forced into these in these prison camps, and he finally gets his chance to get his revenge, and he plots his revenge. It's he's going to try and get you know he's trying to make it where the Federation is going to be their friend, but no, now you know he's going to turn his back on him. That's who he is. Yeah, he's he's not like a like a real tough guy, but that's not who the character is. I mean, he's the opposite of Picard. You're defending him as being a plotter when his plots go are just completely nonsensical and don't make any sense. His whole point is to get Picard on in his clutches so we can steal his blood five, right? Yeah. Right. He has his Picard whole point is to earn Picard's trust. He has to earn Picard's trust. Why? He just kidnaps him later. He takes him off his ship because, and, and captures no, him. Because that's when that the thing. He, all, he, doesn't, he doesn't just want to get Picard blood. It's, it, that's his main thing. But also, he wants to find out about himself. He's Picard's clone. He wants to find out more about who he is and where he comes from. All those scenes between the two of them, that's what makes him, his character so great and so layered, is that that is sincere. He really wants to know where who Picard is and where Picard comes from. Yeah, he's going to have to kill him because it's all about himself. But, There's but no he, reason why he can't have the, the conversation of getting to know Picard and then capture him the two times that he has him. It doesn't make any sense. Rafo actually makes action to go and kill the planet and kill his former people in order to, to get results. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, a, he's, a stereotypical, he's, so um, he, yeah, he's the stereotypical, oh, I'm going to kill everybody and take power for myself guy. There's no, there, he's not layered. He's not interested. He's just there. He's, he's one note the entire time, the whole movie, except that dumb scream he does at the end, which is the only time F. Murray Abraham, I think, even tries in this movie, and it's awful. Um, Tom Hardy, at least in this movie, is trying. He's, he's creating a character. He's putting forth an effort. And again, yeah, he's sniveling and weak, but that's who he is. That's who he's the character is. He's and weak and doesn't propose any threats to the next generation thing, which I think what he makes him worse. Data died because of him. Data sacrifices himself. Yeah, that's he not, had to sacrifice himself because of what Sin John did. That's he not had to sacrifice himself <laughs> to save them from Sin John's plots. How you can say he's not dangerous? He killed one of the main characters. He killed he, 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 his, he his plots required Data to die. Ali Rafa had a pretty straightforward plan that's easy to follow. He once lived on a planet that granted basically yeah. He was outcasted, and then he kept himself alive, and he it's, wants to go back. Now he wants to return. It's boring and stereotypical. Oh, There's nothing interesting about it. Time. All <gasps> right. So we're going to get into closing, starting with Jacoby. <laughs> One minute when you start talking. As I said, if you really examine it, both of our Star Trek villains are after the same thing. Both are determined to save themselves from dying. But where Rafo actually had a pretty logical plan that was interrupted 
by Picard, Shinzon was this mess of nonsensical story elements that never gelled together to make a scary villain with understandable motivations. He's whiny and just a big bald baby a lot of the time, which would have been okay if the movie wasn't trying to make him out to be this scary mirror image of Picard who draws out all this deepness and darkness of what Picard could have been, because the movie fails at that, because Shin's motivations jumped from wanting to be human, which was stopped about like 15 minutes after he was introduced to wanting to capture Picard, which he failed at every turn imaginable, wanting to blow up Earth at the end because, just because. I mean, on every conceivable level, motivations, character, design, acting, dialogue, execution, Sean is the worst Star Trek villain. All right, time. We'll go over to Kirk. One minute for your closing when you start talking. Jacoby focused a lot on Rufaro's plot because that's all he is, his stereotypical big bad plot. We didn't talk much about his personality either way because there isn't much. There's not much of his personality, much of backstory. He's a bad guy. He's there. He's got a bad makeup job, and that's all he is. That's all there is to him. That's why his plot's so straightforward. Sinjon is layered. He is a mess. He's a guy. He's a clone. He was thrown. He was made a slave. He finds out he's human. He finds the man who's, who's supposed to, that he came from, that was basically his father, and now he has to kill his father, but he also wants to know who his father is, get to know himself before he kills him. So, yeah. There is a lot of layers in Shinjon's plan. And so, yeah, it, it, it's not as straightforward as, as Rufaro. Rufaro is boring. Um, again, we talked about all this stuff. Which we had so much to say about Shinjon. Even if you don't think it works, at least it's there. At least, they're trying, at least there's something to think about and talk about with him. With Rufaro, it just, oh, he wants to blow up a planet because he's a Star Trek villain. And that's what bad guys do in Star Trek. They want to destroy planets. Shinjon is connected to the characters, connected to the story, connected to the lore, where Rufaro is just one and done and boring. All right, that was a barn burner of a fight already. That's just round one. God, we're in for a good one. Uh, Brooklyn, we'll go to you first. Uh, where are you leaning and why? Uh, coming out of the opening arguments, this is actually a lot closer than I than I anticipated. Um, I'm gonna go to Kirk on this one, just because I think I heard more in terms of like a, a just a well-rounded, well-rounded argument. I think it's close. It did a really good job, but I heard I heard some good things in the free form, just in terms of like he really seems to really know Star Trek. I don't, I like I don't have I'm watching the Star Trek, so I came into this fairly fresh. Um, but yeah, I'd say Kirk. All right, uh, we'll go over to Cody. Where are you leading and why? You see what Coho's doing? That's called uh, deflection. Um, uh, doesn't want to vote on this one. Uh, you two maybe don't like each other. Hey, my daughter's coming. This is going to be great. B-I-N-G-O. Okay, um, so my vote is going to Kirk. And you didn't even bring up face stretching, which would have uh, also summed it over the bridge because that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. You both picked the correct two choices. But Kirk just told me a lot about it. So that's why I go with Kirk. All right, so Kirk gets the first point. I would have leaned slightly more towards Jacoby, uh, but both did really close. That was a very close one. So we'll go ahead. We'll get to the second argument in the category of Pixar. What Pixar character would you want to quarantine with? What kind of Pixar or which Pixar character would you want to quarantine with? This is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a fun one. All right, uh, Jacoby, you are up first for your opening. Time begins when you start talking.
Okay, now that we're stuck in quarantine, I want to spend my time learning new skills and eating good food. I mean, what else are we going to do to pass the time, right? That's why the Pixar character I want to quarantine with is Remy. Yes, he's a rat, but he's also an incredible chef. His cooking skills are enough to change the mindset of Paris's harshest food critic, and he's able to enhance every meal he sees to make it perfect. So by quarantining with Remy, you actually get two really valuable elements. The first is you're going to have your mind blown by amazing food dishes with pitch-perfect flavor combinations. So that's going to keep you happy a lot in quarantine. But the second thing is that spending so much time watching and helping Remy cook, you will learn how to cook yourself. I think the secret of not going crazy in quarantine is finding ways to keep your mind and body active. And what better way to do that than to be locked up with a gourmet chef who can teach you how to cook. The question is who I want to quarantine with. And the answer to that is the character that not only can make me happy with mouthwatering food dishes, but who can also teach me something valuable in our free time that will help me through the rest of my life Hi. afterwards. Remy is that character. All right. Kirk, one minute for your opening when you start talking. Let's be real, gang. It is a dark time for all of us. We're all on edge. Our nerves are raw. Uh, we're afraid. You know, we're afraid. You know, we might get sick. Our family, our friends might get sick. We might lose our jobs. Uh, what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month? We don't know. We're in uncharted territory. It is a scary time. It is a frightening time. It is a stressful time. So I picked the person who would most help us through that, I went with Joy from Inside Out. Uh, Joy is a beacon of positivity, of hope. She is creative. She is a motivator. Uh, and uh, she, by the end of that movie, she learns, she becomes real, uh, completely realized. She understands the need to incorporate all your, all your emotions so she can help you through your sadness, through your anger. She can be sympathetic. She can be empathetic and get you through that. That's what we need right now. That is the focus of all the ancillary stuff, what we're going to eat, we're going to dress, you know, that stuff, that stuff's going to take care of itself. But the long-term psychological effects, the long-term mental and emotional effects is what we need to worry about here. And that's why I want someone who we need to have in quarantine, and that's Joy. All right, time. All right, five minutes, open free-form debate. Have at it, folks. Okay, Jacoby, uh -huh. let, I, I want to ask you a question to start out with. Do you eat a lot of gourmet food? Do you go out to eat a lot of gourmet five-star restaurants? Not recently, because we're in oh, quarantine. Okay, but I mean, before that, did you? Is that something you did a lot? Uh, yeah, I've traveled to Europe and France before, yes. Okay, I but I mean, it's, it's, it's not something you do all the time. It's not something you do all the time. No, it's, it's, not. it's your argument. Yeah, what are you saying? So, what I'm saying is why, you know, in this time of, of quarantine, when you're picking what you're going to have with you, why are you bringing something that's not even a high priority when you're out of quarantine? I'm thinking of something. First of all, food is very high priority in routine, and I'm picking a, someone who can help you actually have an activity to keep you busy while we're locked up. And I'm having someone who can actually cook and teach you something in the long run, which I think is, are very valuable things in, um, when you're stuck in quarantine. Okay. Well, first of all, um, you have to learn something new. You have to be motivated. You have to be emotionally motivated and ready to go, which a rat isn't going to get you there. You could, you could, you could have all these ideas. I'm going to learn to do this. I'm going to do this. But if you can't get out of bed in the morning, What's the use? Second of all, you're saying you're going to learn things. You don't learn anything with Remy. You're you're a marionette. You're a puppet. He's pulling your hair. You're flying through the kitchen. You're you're a robot. You're not learning anything with Remy. Remy is controlling you. Remy's going to do the cooking. My third. I, your, 
Remy's going to do the cooking, but as you watch and as you examine him to while you do stuff, then that's going to make the real difference. 93% of communication is nonverbal. I don't need to talk to Remy in order to go back and forth and things. He's not I witness with and you. I You're do through action, Kirk, just because he's moving my hair to begin with. Yeah, and I'm watching while I'm, he had a, he had Linguini blindfolded while he was doing it, which doesn't make any sense. Compared yeah. to Joy, who's just a motivator. What is she going to do? All she's going to do is going to, you're going to get out of bed and be like, let's be, have a good day. And like, okay, Joy, while you're showering, it's like, let's have a good shower. Okay, Joy, I'm showering. Let's have a good meal. Okay, Joy, I'm eating. It's the same thing with Joy. There's no action, Joy. No, it's just no. constant motivation over the of, yeah, it's, very long time it's, it's, it's motivation. It's keeping you up. It's keeping you positive. That's what you need. You need somebody who's going to get you. Like I said, it doesn't matter. Like if Remy's there, you, you could make the greatest meal in the world. But if Remy's there uh, and you don't have a reason, you, if you're not motivated to get out of bed, you're not going to do anything. And Remy's you going know to what's going to motivate you about Remy? It's the meals that he cooks. That was the whole point of the movie. He changed Anton Ego's mind to, to be happier, to change, to get out of his grumpy mood. And food can do that. Joy is just going to make exactly. you recall memories from the past. And then when you come out of those happy memories, you're going to still be stuck in quarantine sad that's just like yeah that was a good time and you know but what Remy I, I, is going to actually deliver those things with the food that he cooks i agree with you food is important and food is something necessary not gourmet food though gourmet food is not the food we want right now gourmet food it tastes good but it's small it's not filling it's not Remy really that just what, what you want right now what you want right now is comfort food you want pizza you want a big bowl of pasta you want pot roast. you want simple stuff you don't want something fancy. It's going to be that big on the plate. And you eat it. And you're done. You want something. You want. You want comfort food right now that anybody can make. You don't. You don't need. You don't need a, a rat. You don't think that, that Remy can't make the best comfort food around. He can't make the delicious soup, which he does, or his omelets and with the crispy bread in the morning. That's what Remy does. Remy can cook all types of food because anybody can cook, and you can cook a whole exactly. lot of things. Anybody, like anybody that. can cook. Help anybody can anything. cook. So why do you need Remy there? Well, I can have joy and a cookbook. And Joy will motivate me to read that cookbook, and I can learn the same way I would with 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 Remy. But I also have someone who's keeping me upbeat, keeping me motivated, keeping me happy, keeping me positive, may, making me realize things are going to get better, things are going to be okay. You're going to get out of this. When I get sad, when I get down, she's going to be able to bear with me and understand that and work me through it. And then I can go to the uh, Julia Styles cookbook and Julia Styles, <laughs> Julia Child's cookbook, and do all the cooking I want that way. I mean, you don't get anything valuable out of that joy because you have to actually be around with the, with Remy the rat to actually be cooking stuff. He has to show you how to do things. If you just have joy keeping you happy, she's just going to be like, I don't know how to cook. Let's just have a good attitude. Let's just just let's just yeah, go crazy like gonna... because you can't just have joy. That was the whole point of the movie yeah. that she, you need all those Joy's other emotions say, hey, in order to be well Joy, joy by itself is dangerous. Joy's going to say, yeah, but Joy's and not just Joy. We learned at the end of the movie. She incorporates all the emotions. Joy's going to say, hey, look, here's a cookbook. Let's learn how minute. to cook. And she's going to keep you motivated. She's going to get you through it. And like you said yourself, the whole point of that movie, anybody can cook. Yeah, anybody can cook if, you, if you're if you in a in a place to do that. What Remy does will help you love food more and appreciate food for that's what he did with his brother emil who didn't know food and or his dad he didn't know flavor combinations very well you need someone like remy who can tell you these things who can be like use these spices together and taste the explosion of flavors in your mouth joy on the other hand if you're trying to cook with joy she'll just be like yeah i think that's good look at that mash and dirt over there i'm sure that's delicious because i'm joy that's what joy does we'll actually take the time to incorporate everything and and help you learn the skills to incorporate what's good and what's bad in the long term and that's what's important long term is important here joy is good for probably the first three maybe even the first week of quarantine remy no. is going to teach you something later in life joy is when you come out of quarantine long. to joy be more valuable here remy you can go to get food later time all right, so we're going to go to Kirk first. One minute for your closing when you start talking.
Remy is a one-trick pony. He's going to make you a nice meal. You sit down, you eat it, you enjoy it. When you're done, you're still going to lose. You, you still might lose your job. Your family still might stick. And Remy's not going to help you with that. He can only cook you so many meals before that. Like Jacoby said, J J Jacoby started talking about long term. The day after quarantine's over, if I can walk out, of, I can walk out my door and go to a five-star restaurant if I want. That's that problem will be solved like that. What's not going to be solved like that is the long-term emotional, psychological, mental stress and anxiety. That's long-term, and you need somebody there like Joy. If you want to learn how to cook, she's going to motivate you. She's going to be with you. She's going to tell you, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. This is great. If you want to do something else, if you want to do a million other things besides cook, because that's all you're going to learn with Remy, Joy will get you motivated. She'll encourage you. She'll get you there. And like I said, when you get down, when you can't deal with it anymore, she'll be there for you. And she'll get you through this. So long term, as you come out of quarantine, you're emotionally ready for it. You don't need – I mean, you can eat anytime. You can eat anywhere. It's not the, and like I said, like Jacoby said, anybody can cook. You don't need Remy. Time. All right. So we're going to go over to Jacoby. One minute for your closing when you start talking. Okay, both of our characters can work to keep us happy, but Remy is far superior because where Joy kind of just relies on invoking, joy, uh, invoking joyful memories of your past in a way that will make you sad now because you aren't there, Remy makes you happy by cooking you delicious meals that remind you of your happier memories. It's a small difference, but I think that detail is incredibly important. But then Remy goes even beyond that by being able to help you learn an invaluable new skill that will both keep you occupied and busy during this quarantine, but also be with you for the rest of your life. He, uh, Kirk says it's like one trick pony. It's like, oh, you're just going to learn how to cook and I can go to a gourmet restaurant after that. I'm sorry that I don't want to spend money on a gourmet restaurant. And I'm sorry that I personally would prefer to learn a valuable new skill like cooking a wide variety of different delicious foods myself because that is better improvement. That is self-improvement. Remy helps you self-improve through action while Joy helps you self-improve emotion. I prefer to actually do the things make me a better person than just thinking about it. Joy is just too much happiness without any substance. Remy would probably say she's just 100% icing without any actual cake. Um, Remy's a better character. All right. What a fight. Uh, all right. I'll go ahead and I'll go first on this one since I went last last one. Uh, I'm leaning Jacoby on this one. I think Jacoby brought up a lot of actually really good haymaker points of if uh, like the point of inside out was that you need all of them and that joy on her own could actually be really detrimental. Uh, so I think I'm going to lean slightly towards Jacoby on this one. Uh, we'll go to Brooklyn. Um, this question seems like it's right up my alley. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun and I think there was a lot of things left on both sides of the table. There's a lot of times that I wanted to come in here, come in and sort of tag and help either one of you out. Uh, but I'm going to agree with Caleb. I think Jacoby did, did, did a really good job. Uh, I think there was something that was sort of left in Kirk's side of the argument that he could have brought in. And then I think Jacoby attacked one of the glaring flaws in, in Kirk's face. And I think he was, wasn't able to catch up from that. So I would go Jacoby. All right, so with that, we are tied 1-1. One, one. Uh, Cody, where would you have gone uh, had your vote mattered? I don't know if they've all traveled out to Walmart. I don't know what kind of food they'll be cooking right now because these people are psychopaths. Um, yeah, I would lead kind of towards Jacoby. I think this is like a <laughs> – I don't know if there's real tension between these two or not, but it's so funny to watch them debate because they can sell it quite well. They look like they hate each other, and I love every minute of it. But, yeah, Jacoby slightly – I think Joy would get uh, – if Joy was in my house right now, yeah, I'd throw her out the house. That's too much happiness. <laughs> Fair. All right. So we are tied 1-1 as we get to the third question in the main round, which is from the Planet of the Apes. 
What is the best original series sequel? What is the best original series sequel? Kirk, you'll be going first on this one. Time begins when you start talking. I picked the best Planet of the Apes sequel as, and again, I believe this was for the original movies. I went with uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes uh, for several reasons, but basically because it is a culmination of the original series of movies. Uh, it takes a lot of their ideas that were uh, kind of ethereal and just out there and makes them more concrete and puts them more in the real world and really explores those ideas in a more mature, uh, realistic, and darker way. Uh, also, it is the beginning of the uh, later Planet of the Apes trilogy that we got um, is really rooted in in the ideas and the themes and the plot of this movie. Uh, so uh, it's the best of both worlds, basically. It, it takes the best of the original Planet of the Apes, where it got a little too, a lot of times it got a little too out there, a little too cheesy. Uh, this brings it, it grounds it, um, and, and tightens all those ideas up. And again, it uh, sets the stage for all those great Planet of the Apes movies we get down the road uh, in the past, you know, 10 years. All right, stopping a little bit early. We'll see how that pays off. We'll go over to Jacoby. One minute, time begins when you start talking. The best Apes original series sequel is the one that pivoted the franchise into an exciting new direction. The series was done after the second Charlton Heston blew everything up. Escape Planet of the Apes did was brilliant. It found a way for the franchise to keep going by bringing Apes back modern day and with them a lot of tough questions it's a tricky movie because it actually has a lot of humor as we see these apes become celebrities in our world but as the truth starts to get out that like 2,000 years from now apes will rule over humans and earth will eventually destroy itself things start to get dark the mounting tension um, as the film goes from a lighthearted fish out of water story to growing un is really well done all leading to one of the most tragic endings of any ape movie and the reason why it's tragic is because we actually care about the characters we grow to love cornelius and zira and we want them to succeed but we're also able to understand where the villain haslin is coming from because he's trying to save the entire human race and the destruction of the planet because of its clever new direction uh it's well-told story it's great cast of characters uh, escape is the best original series all right, five minutes open debate. Have at it. Well, I think your movie is a good movie, kind of ish, Kirk, but I think there's a lot of problems with it. I don't think there's barely any nuance to it. I mean, humanity has become these just caricatures of hatred um, where we want the apes to rise up. And I understand, like, that's the point. But the reason I think escapic and just explore what that means overall. Um, I think I, I look at the other way. I see your movie as basically the setup for my movie. Um, my movie takes all the ideas that your movie puts out there and you know solidifies them and does them better. Uh, your movie, like you, you said yourself, a big part of it is a comedy. It's silly. It's kind of campy and ridiculous, and yeah, it takes it in that new. That's the new direction it goes in. It, they come to Earth. It's like oh, it's like it's like uh, Home Alone two or something. It's like oh, let's go to New York. Let's go to you know Vegas. You know, it's like let's take them back in time to Earth because we don't have anything else to do. Um, and then it becomes a joke. And again, they do start to set up those ideas, but those are fully actualized in my movie. And and one more thing, you did you said about how it's, that, it's kind that's of, actually the the point of the movie. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, um, I said, well, that was kind of, 
Okay, that, well, that was the point of my movie. It's supposed to start off funny. You're supposed to think that this is kind of a lighthearted situation, and then the tension kind of wraps up and gets bigger and darker as we realize, like, oh, crap, these apes might bring the destruction of humanity, leading to that gut punch of an ending. Your movie just starts off angry um, and stays angry in a really cheap and really just unorganic and without anybody to root for, which I think is, like, just the inherent problem. Yes, I think your movie is the, the, is the, the end point, like, afterwards of my movie, but it does so in a very lackluster and not a very good way. You said there's nobody to root for this movie. You have Caesar who comes up and he starts out and he, I mean, Ronnie McDowell in his absolute best performance in any of the apes movies as Caesar, uh, he, he starts out as this frightened child. He doesn't know what to do. He's lost his parents. What do, and he becomes this political leader. And you see that arc throughout the entire movie. You, you, nobody root for it. I mean, Caesar is a great, great character. Great. And a, like I said, great performance. You keep saying the movie's angry. The movie's dark. This movie is set in the sixties. It's, it's built. It, it, it was, it took its motivation from the uh, watch race rides. So, I mean, there is a lot of anger in this movie. There is a lot of tension. It's based on the racial tension in the 60s, the, the racial violence in the 60s. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, it does present it to you in a very uh, forward way, but that's the way, that was the world back then. Yes, but and going back to, to Caesar, it doesn't have a good arc from start to finish. He is there as the prop to go along. His pivot from scared ape to political evil leader isn't very much earned feel for that. We lose Caesar at the end of the movie. Before he gives his speech, when all the apes are going crazy, it's hard to distinguish what Caesar's and what his motivation is, mostly because of just he ha does nothing as a character. Compare that to my movie, where we're following Cornelius, zero throughout everything as they learn to be both cautious of the humans to learn to trust the human and then be betrayed by the human as they try to protect their baby child the thing of the most that's the beating heart of the franchise and that's what that's what your movie is missing sure i get it it's based on anger and it's based on it's, it's based on a whole lot of things but without a stable center of your movie there's no to it than just watching people in apes masks in dark scenes pit each other yeah, you're right. They're, they're following Zara, and then it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's their zany adventures through New York. Hey, we're going to buy clothes. We're going to put apes in the clothes, and we're going to have all these silly situations. That's what you're following. I mean, it's it's entertaining, I guess, uh, but it's not true to the spirit of the Planet of the Apes franchise. My my movie is much more true to the spirit of the of the franchise, that, that spirit of uh, dissension and rebellion and rising up against. I mean, if you look at the, go back to the first movie, that's what it's all about. About rising up against the the authorities and rising up against people trying to hold you down and oppress you, and that all comes to fruition in my movie. And to say that his 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 arc is nerd is crazy. You know, you see it very slowly, and you see him turn. And yeah, there's confusion because he's still that young kid, but he's be, he's being forced in that position to be that leader, to be that. And again, it's a, it's a very nuanced performance, very nuanced nuanced written character where you see him becoming that, but I'm sure he doesn't know what, what he's supposed to do or what he's going to do. He's just there, and he's forced into that position where he has to rise up. You're discounting the humor of my movie saying that it's kind of campy and or just like tacked on there, but it's not. It's it's a very slow build because it's supposed to lure us, us as well as the main characters of the movie into that state of just like, maybe everything's okay. Maybe this is kind of funny. This is great. And then as it builds where humanity turns and they have to deal with the questions of just like, should we, should we kill this baby? Maybe to, to save our future, should we save humanity because 2,000 years from now we're going to destroy ourselves? That's the main question. Like the villains of our of our two movies, like mine's far superior because you actually understand where he's coming from. You're, all your villains are just are just angry, just, just pissed off people who don't have any nuance, who you want them to die. I prefer a movie, and I think a movie is better when you can root for a lot of different things going on at the same time. Um, you you, you said yeah, you, you said you said that it's uh it's oh it's it, it kind of you know 
twist. It was a twist. It's like, no, everybody knows what Planet of the Apes is. It's dark. It's 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 gloomy. It's bad things going to happen. Shoehorning that humor into there is pointless. Everybody knows what's going to happen. Nobody wants to see uh, zany comedy for Planet of the Apes. Time. All right. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to start with Jacoby for closing arguments. One. That's not what I wanted to do. One minute uh, when you start talking. Okay, Escape is the better ape sing uh, sequel in almost just every single way. It tells a story that you can be invested in with characters that you care about, and it's packed with humor, directions, a really stellar score, and isn't afraid to ask the big questions about what should be done to protect the future. It successfully continues on the ape franchise in a really interesting and intriguing way, unlike Conquest, which feels like, like, like 80 minutes of poorly lit action scenes with a lead character that gets lost in its own story. Um, the new Andy, is kind of, I think, Planet of the Apes movies show how to make an ape uprising movie, and the new films only highlight how flawed and downright, like, a little bit boring the 70s version of a monkey uprising movie is without any money to it or any good characters like what actually happens there again escape from planet of the apes tells a better individual story it revitalizes the franchise because the franchise was done at this point so, so it, it rebooted it to go into new directions and just because um and the end point sure it's the setup to your culmination but your culmination isn't as good setup to get there um because it actually makes you feel something and be invested in what is going on. So that's why Escape is the better movie. Time. All right. So, Kirk, one minute for your closing when you start talking. Jacoby keeps talking about the subtlety and nuance of his movies. Uh, that's subtlety and nuance are not hallmarks of the Planet of the Apes uh, franchise. When you see those movies, you know what you're going to get. They're always a little bit heavy-handed. You're getting that idea. That's what this movie is. It's set in the '60s, race riots, racial tension, and that's there was a lot of nuance back then. You were it was it was very black and white. Uh, not you know no pun intended. Uh, and that's that's the world it was creating. That's what the best of the Planet of the Apes does. Um, you know, like he said, it rebooted the his movie rebooted the franchise, took it in the direction. The direction it took it in is my movie. Much more mature, much more dark, much more violent movie than we've seen in the past. And like I said, without uh, this movie, without my movie, the new Planet of the Apes uh, reboots don't exist because this movie was such a great base to build on for that world of Planet of the Apes and where do these apes come from? Why are they here? How does how do they relate to humanity? How do they reflect humanity? This movie shows that better, that reflection of humanity in the apes than definitely Escape from the, Escape does. All right, time. Who boy, who boy. All right. I'm so hot. Uh, is anybody else really hot? <laughs> I am also hot, but it's because it's 75 degrees right now. Uh, we're going to start with Cody since your vote didn't count last time. Uh, we Brooklyn Silver Lead? Okay, whatever. Um, okay. Brooklyn can start if you want. I led, I, led, I led the first question. Did you? I did, yeah. Whatever. Cody just. Ah. I'm trying. I'm trying. Hmm. I'm trying. Um, <sighs> this is really close. Uh, I haven't seen either. Um, to be honest with you. Uh, so I had to go off what you told me. Um, a word I never want to hear again is nuance. Um, never, ever want to hear the word nuance again. Um, I have to go with barbs that were thrown back and forth and kind of the defense that was struck, which was crazy in the debate, but that's what I'm going to vote on. But yeah, that's what I have to go on. Um, I'm going to Kobe. 
Um, basically for the counterpoint that he threw out, or his like Kirk was trying to tear it down, and he kind of painted the picture of why it was important of, of the sense of security and everything leading towards it. Um, I really like that approach. So I'm going to Kobe. But thank gosh, there's three of us. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Brooklyn, where are you leaning and why? <laughs> um, all right. Well, this wouldn't be a show with Cody and I on it. Uh, I, I disagree. Um, I think, uh, I think Kirk just edged out, edged out a little bit. I think he was a little more meticulous in terms of like just spreading out, spreading out his arguments overall. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a 55, 45 split. All right, so it comes down to me. Uh, this is, someone's going to be pissed always. Uh, this is not fun. Uh, so uh, I had to listen for who sold the movie to me better, uh, and I listened to how both of you pitched it and why it was important to the franchise, and so I am slightly leaning Jico, very slightly. I think he pitched me on why Escape was important to the franchise in terms of saving it post-Beneath, uh, and I didn't hear a lot of attacks on why that comment wasn't necessarily important. So uh, we're going to go on Jacoby's up 2-1 as we get into the last uh, prep round debate in the category of the MCU. Which Phase 4 movie would you watch today, given the chance? Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, all right, so Jacoby, you will be going first on this one one minute when you start talking. Okay, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness represents what's next for the MCU. Remember that. It's poised to be the most important chapter in Phase 4 because it's going to open up, open up a whole new corner of this franchise and has the ability to push the MCU into new directions that will not only influence Phase 4, but Phase 5 and Phase 6 as well, and do so in a completely original way. We've seen the cosmos and space adventures. We've explored the quantum realm, but the idea of exploring the multiverse with Sorcerer Supreme is just so exciting. It's because it's something we haven't seen before. Besides the fact that it has the fantastic Sam Raimi returning to the superhero world to direct it, and it promises a larger role for Scarlet Witch, who is probably one of the Avengers who needs the most fleshing out as of now, Doctor Strange 2 has so much potential because the multiverse is the best way for the MCU to introduce elements like, like mutants and even the Fantastic Four into the mix. The multiverse will change the MCU as we know it, and that's why Doctor Strange 2 is the most important movie, so if given the chance, that's the movie you should watch today if given the chance all right time all right kirk one minute for your opening when you start talking if i could see any new mcu movie now two things i want to see i want to see what's new i want to see new characters uh we had 10 years of a lot of amazing characters and uh we wrapped a lot of those stories up i want to see what's next i want to see uh who's next and what's going to go in there also i want to see what's going to happen in the uh in the mcu what's 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 next for the mcu i disagree with Joby, I, jacoby i think that the eternals um I, I don't think it's true the eternals is going to be the new temple moving forward uh we have new characters doing new things and we're going to see here where the direction the mainstream uh MCU is going to go in. Uh, we'll talk about where Jacoby's pick is going to go, but this could be where the mainstream, uh, the mainstream MCU is going to go. Uh, new cast, new characters, very diverse cast, uh, new ideas, new director, uh, fr fresh takes. That's what I want to see here. Um, the last ten years we had in the MCU was fantastic, uh, but it's time to move on. Take that next step. Let's see a new character. Give somebody else a chance. The Eternals. All right, time. 
Five minutes freeform, gentlemen. How about it? Big problem, Arnold's clerk. It's really not anything new. You keep saying it's going to be new and exciting, but it's not. It's another space team-up movie with like a large ensemble of characters. And, and yet it has like the adage that these characters are immortal. But Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor, Captain Marvel, all deal with that sort of thing. Like if I miss the Eternals, I can still get my space fix elsewhere. But if I miss Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I'll miss my chance to explore a really originally new concept in the MCU. It's not really, I mean, you're going to see, I mean, you're saying how this could be really big. I mean, this could be very much, it's going to be like a Lovecraftian horror movie. That's not going to spill out into the other, I mean, that's going to be very much Doctor Strange niche. That's not going to, you're not going to see that in three, four movies. You know, you're not going to see some monster from Doctor Strange 2 show up in Black Panther 2's down the road. It's going to be, a, it's going to be very much his care. His his corner of the universe, and it's going to be fun to watch. But that's what's going to be. It's not going to, you're not going to need that for anything else. Uh, the Eternals. What's going to happen in this movie is going to play out. Yeah, we're going to see. It's 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 the, the story is Earthbound. It's an Earthbound movie. It's about Earthbound characters. It's not cosmic. There's cosmic elements. They have cosmic powers, but they are Earthbound characters, and it's about the Marvel history of the planet Earth and things that happen on the planet Earth. And we're going to see how how they've affected that, and that how how that moves the universe forward. You keep saying you say that the multiverse won't spill over into other things. You think it's just like the quantum realm and Ant Man, how that was introduced in one movie and then set up the whole basis of what Avengers Endgame was. The multiverse is going to do that, but ten times more by introducing alternate realities, alternate universes, alternate everything, and and different types of of dimensions and all of that oh. to build the MCU even more. The oh. Eternals, yeah, they might be on Earth, but they're 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 uh, they're alien based. There's stuff that we've seen before. Oh, this, I mean, the more you describe this, Jacoby, the I'll more keep I, going. the, the more you just, the more you're, you're frozen. The more you describe this, the more I hate, I, the more I hate it. Cause you're talking about multiverse, all these different things. And oh, now the multiverse things, now anything's possible. Now, oh, um, wait a minute. Maybe Tony Stark didn't die. Maybe Captain America stayed and stayed young and he bring him back. And it's just going to be a rehash of all this stuff that I don't want to see. Let's move forward. Let's get new characters in, new director. Talk about Sam Raimi coming back to superheroes. Do we really want to see that? Remember his last foray into superheroes? We don't know what we're going to get with Sam Raimi. I mean, he's a little, I mean, he's a lot older now. Um, his, la his last couple of movies have not been great. I mean, what are we going to get? We know we're going to get an old Delta 88 and a chainsaw somewhere in the movie. There's anything we can guarantee are going to be in this movie with, with Sam Raimi. Well, I think if you look at like our movies and, and who's making the movies, I mean, the credited writers on yours movies are like Kaz and Ryan Furpa, who have only written short films directed by, you know, a relative newcomer, Chloe Zhao. And I'm not taking away from them. But when you compare that to Sam Raimi, who when he can make the movies that he kind of wants to make by blending horror and comedy, which makes him a perfect fit for the multiverse of madness, that's 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 going to be epic. That's going to be awesome. The only time Sam Raimi bats is when he doesn't have a good writer. The writer of Doctor Strange 2 is the writer of Rick and Morty, is the writer of the Loki television series. It's the guy who knows the MCU. It's, because, it's what's going to make multiverse of madness, just besides the fact of what I said, that it's going to expand the universe and go into completely new directions and introduce concepts that are going to be important later on. It's going to be a fun individual movie too that's just going to be probably the best movie out of Phase 4 other than The Eternals, which has so many... Yeah, yeah you keep saying new characters, but there are so many characters. Angelina Jolie, Richard Madden, Selma Hayek, Kit Harington, uh, all those people. There's let's, so many people to fit let's in go back, movie. Let's go back. I want to talk about the people actually making the movie. Uh, you, you talk about Sam Raimi when he gets to make the movie he wants to make. Um... Ask Edgar Wright how that works out for you in the MCU. Uh, these are movies made by committee. They're going to take Sam Raimi ideas and morph them. You know, Sam Raimi, a year from now, six months from now, may not even be directing this. We may see him bail out because he's not able to make the movie he wants to make. And again, what is the movie Sam Raimi wants to make in 2020? 
Is it a good movie? I mean, I don't know. He's he he he's he's get he's over that crust. He's past his prime. One minute. You're set, you're talking about how we have unproven talent. The MCU has built itself on un, new unproven talent, bringing in new ideas, bringing in fresh ideas. That's what the that's the bread and butter of the MCU. Who were the Russo brothers that's before before Winter uh, before uh, before Winter Soldier? And look what they went. That's yeah. that's what the MCU does. And I'm not saying. That they're going to be bad but i'm saying just like it just gets you more excited to watch sam raimi returning to the superhero world to direct a movie that is right in his wheelhouse that's an unfair comparison with edgar wright because that happened way back before the mcu allowed more people more individual storytelling focused people to make the movies they want to make look at ryan coogler with, with black panther a more recent movie where he got to make the movie that yeah. he wanted to make and infuse it with his culture and now it's a successful movie if you Did think I mean, that MCU will not let sam raimi to do what he wants to do that's crazy talk yeah, Sarah, I mean, Sarah, the Eternals doesn't have anything going. This is there's Sam nothing Raimi. exciting about the Eternals. This this is a 1995 Sam Raimi. This is 2020 Sam Raimi. He, he's 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 had his time. It's not like oh, we got Sam Raimi. Let's get all his ideas. It's like take time. All right, so we will go into closings. One minute, starting with Kirk. The Edgar Wright comparison is not unfair. Uh, you bring up Ryan Coogler. Do you think Ryan Coogler wanted a CGI Rhino Stampede in his movie and the same same v same fight? That's the, the 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 you have to conform to the Marvel idea if you're going to make a Marvel movie. Can Sam Raimi do that or not? We'll see. If they don't if they don't make him, is it going to be a good movie? A lot of question marks here. The guy's past his prime. The Eternals, like I said, you have new ideas, new characters, new storylines, exploring new. Uh, portions of the mainstream MCU. We're going to see what, from Endgame to what's new. We're not going back to an old character that we've already seen when he, in, in three or four movies now. We're actually going to see something new and uh, new powers, new uh, new ideas, and that storyline is going to carry off. You talk about going to the rest of the Phase 4, Phase 5, Phase 6. This Eternals is basically going to be the new Avengers. That's what we're seeing here. It's Avengers, but you have new characters like Guardians. Look what they did with Guardians. You got new characters with Guardians, and we fell in love with it. That's what's going to happen here at the Turtles. All right, time. Jacoby, one minute for your closing. Time begins when you start talking. The multiverse will be the most important thing for this next chapter of the MCU. Hands down. You cannot miss Doctor Strange 2. Eternals will be just, you know, like another team-up movie that, that takes a little bit on Earth, a little bit in space. But it's not even exciting one of those movies in Phase 4 with, you know, Thor loving the pipeline. And if you look at things like like why Scarlet Witch is going to like it's giving her more development, more fleshed out, because Doctor Strange is one character. Scarlet Witch is the character who needs more. Kirk saying like, we've seen them before. We've seen them fleshed out. No, they're the characters who need development, and, and Doctor Strange 2 is actively working for that. Um, so, And then the reason why the multiverse is so important is because you can introduce just incredible concepts, like the mutant, how the mutants are going to integrate into the MCU. Not the case. The multiverse represents that idea that how uh, the MCU is going to work going forward. The the Eternals are just going to work like another Guardians of the Gal uh, of the Gal team or another Thor uh, Thor team up there. But the multiverse will fundamentally change overall. So that is why I've given the chance. That is the movie time. that you should watch. All right, time. Go ahead, and we wrapped up that one, Cody. I don't know what you're. <laughs> That's I can go first on this one. 
All right. I, 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 I think I think I know why Cody is shaking his head. It's probably the same reason I'm about to. Okay. Uh, Brooklyn, we'll start with you since you haven't gone first since the first round. Okay. I think this question lost a lot of focus. Um, like in the in the in the free in the free form. Uh, it just kind of went off on a tangent and really didn't and sort of just came a an entirely new thing. Um, so I had to sort of take out a lot of that. Um, I think I think I have to go. I have to go with Jacoby because. There was so many things where it was just like I think there's a lot left on the table on on on, on, on either side, and I think uh, I think Kirk tried to try to take something and it just it, it didn't sell me on it. Uh, I go uh, next? Yeah, go ahead, Cody. Because I a hundred percent disagree. Normally, I'm a big fan of Jacoby. Jacoby went down a path that ruined this entire fight. One, they did not argue the question why they want to. He touched it out in the closing, but that was like trying last ditch ever, like realizing that he did not. Neither one really touched the question on the table of why it's so important to watch. But Jacoby did a terrible thing that cost him this point in my eyes. He brought up directors and went into a huge tangent and got Kirk so, like, Jacoby so focusing on why directing matters in this movie instead of why the plot points actually matter and never was able to, like, paint out his picture why that movie is so important until it's closing. They were on directors and Kirk kept setting up his movie along the way. So I have to go Kirk on this way because I think he actually fought the question throughout and Jacoby led down him. He brought up Raimi and that was a shot and Kirk pissed him off and kept him going. So I have to go Kirk by a mile. Like in, And that's, I, Jacoby was winning the first minute and 30 minutes, seconds of this fight by a good margin and then lost it for me. I don't like that. I'm deciding this twice. Uh, okay. Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I don't like being in this position again. Uh, that's called deflecting the first time. Payback. Cheers. All right. Uh, yeah, this fight got really, got really derailed, so I have to try and sift through everything that was said to get to the main question of the argument. Jacoby brought up a lot of points as to why his movie was important, but I don't think that was really the question. I think Kirk did a good job of explaining why Eternals would be the one he would watch today, so I'm going to go with Kirk. Yeah, I was I was surprised. because, And I don't blame you because it could have went two different ways. You could have got him drunk, but you got lost, and that was rough for me to see. But I, I'm, it's interesting that me and Brooklyn just thought completely different, which is fair. What's, what's a shocker for us to see something <laughs> All right, so that means we are going to the speed round of this works is you are going to uh, give us the answer to your question. Whoever talks first will be going first. You have 45 seconds for an opening and a 30-second rebuttal. So your speed round question, I'm going to read it twice, and then you can give your answer. In the category of DC, what DC character should get a Lego movie? Again, what DC character should get a Lego movie? Green Lantern. Plastic Man. 
Green Lantern versus Plastic Man. I feel like I am eight years old and in <laughs> fucking heaven. Let's do this. 45 seconds for your opening. Uh, Jacoby, you talk first. Time begins when you start talking. Lego movies are all about building, are all about imagination, are all about like what you can think of that you can create. And that's exactly what Green Lantern's mantra is. He uses his ring to build anything that he happens to. Besides the fact that it would be so awesome to see Green Lantern rings with building anything that he can imagine coming from that, you also have an incredibly dense world and mythology around the Green Lantern that can be brought to life with uh, Lego. Seeing the home planet of Green Lanterns with Oa built out of Lego, seeing the universe and the cosmos and everything around there with Legos is just amazing. Green Lantern is tailor-made for a Lego movie adaption because it so fits with the brand of what Lego is trying to do. Um, you can create such compelling uh, villains, such compelling heroes, such compelling uh, whole world landscape that, that that would do well to making uh, the, bring the world of Lego to life, which is what you need from a Lego and a movie. All right, Kirk, 45 seconds for your opening when you start talking. Lego and Lego movies are all about creativity and fun, and that is what Plastic Man is. Imagine a master builder who uses his own body as his canvas to build and change things. And you, you, and you have the perfect humor. I mean, he, he fits that tone of the Lego universe so well. You could have him go through and comment on the entire DC universe. You could put him in the Green Lantern world for a minute because I got news for you. An entire Lego Green, uh, Green Lantern movie is going to be boring. A bunch of green Lego bricks over and over. Oh, here's a green Lego boat here's an all green lego airplane here's an all green lego planet that's going to be very monotone and very boring and we've seen a lot of the other space stuff in lego already plastic man can explore the entire dc universe and change the way uh characters interact with lego being the lego himself time all right 30 seconds jacoby for your rebuttal when you start talking Plastic Man, I think, is a really boring choice because he doesn't have a whole lot of world established around him in order to in, in order to make it a good movie. I think the creativity and fun of using his body as a canvas is 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 inferior to the fact of what Green Lantern can create with his ring in order to do that. The fact that a lot of things are going to be green is not a problem to the overall story that they should be trying to tell, which is creating a vast expansion of a world and a universe built through imagination and creativity, which is which is Green Lantern's brand. Uh, brand. Just because there are as Green Lantern teaches, there are many different shades of colors and everything. For Green Lantern would make the most individual story too, because there are so many different Green Lanterns that you can follow in order to make it a compelling story. You can have all of, all of the Green Lanterns in the story together, interacting with each other in Lego form, and that's hilarious. And that's better than anything Plastic Man could do. All right, 30, uh, 30 seconds for your rebuttal, Kirk. Time begins when you start talking. I don't know what kind of movie Jacoby wants to make. Is it going to be a serious Green Lantern make, uh, movie? Because if so, that doesn't make sense because that doesn't fit the spirit of Lego movies. It's going to be a joke Green Lantern because if so, that doesn't fit the spirit of the Green Lantern. So it doesn't work. Plastic Man is the perfect meta character. His established world is the entire DC universe. You could set him to Oa. You could set him to uh, Apocalypse to fight Darkseid. You could literally put him anywhere in the DCU and have him be that 
uh, Greek chorus commenting on it. You put him in the original Lego movie. Put him in the Batman Lego movie. Have him go go, go to Star Wars, wherever. And he's going to fit in because he's that kind of character. He's a cartoon character already. Let him be Lego. Let him shape change into anything he can make. And you know who else can do anything with Legos? Anybody in the Lego universe. It's not that uh, interesting. Time. All right. We'll go ahead. We'll bring in the judges. I'll go first on this one since I decided last two. I'm going with Kirk. Uh, I think Jacoby had the, the objective correct answer with Green Lantern and, and missed the ball on bringing up the Red Lanterns, the Yellow Lanterns, the other Lantern course that you can use. And uh, Kirk pitched like Deadpool for the DC Universe of Lego movies in terms of that meta character that can also use their bodies to canvas. It was a really interesting pitch. I'm definitely going with Kirk on that one. Also, fucking, I want Plastic Man, the Lego movie now. <laughs> uh, go ahead, uh, Cody. When Jacoby said Green Lantern, I said, that's the obvious choice. Well done, Jacoby. We'll see you against Robert. Then Kirk said Plastic Man, and I said, well, Kirk just threw the match. This is stupid awesome. Kirk wins it for me. I think Kirk delivered something that was very interesting, very unique. You kind of – lucky he only had five seconds left because he kind of threw it a little bit at the end when he was talking about Star Wars and stuff. I might like to say on the question, but everything leading up to it was so good. Yeah, I have to go with Kirk on this one. Kirk wins it for me. Uh, and Brooklyn, your vote would not have mattered, but where would you have leaned? I would have I would have completely agreed. I think um, I think there's a lot of things in Kirk's opening that would that that Jacoby could have used in his rebuttal, but I think his rebuttal fell fell a little bit short. I agree with you, Caleb, where you could have explored the entirety of the Lantern Corps. Um, but yeah, Kirk gets it for me. Like the and Black with, Lantern. With that, your winner, the consigliere, Kirk Kolakowski, is going to the number one contenders match with Robert the Shilo Parker. Uh man, what what a match. Uh Cody, where uh how do you feel overall about the match that we just saw? Um I loved it. I honestly did. Um it's be honest, it's not where I thought this was going. Um, because uh there is one fighter really since I stopped debating, besides like Tim and stuff that I think is on like close to my level when it comes to debate, and I think Jacoby is that. Um, I would love to play Jacoby at one point in like an exhibition style because I think our our sists are were too different, but both very detail-oriented and very like we prep super hard. So like that's why Jacoby. So I'm interested to see like once the rebrand happens because it's coming. We're not telling anybody right now what it is, but I think Jacoby – Maybe the dark, like the the number one favorite in the new format versus this format. I really do. Um, I'm so excited to see what goes next. Uh, Kirk versus Robert is going to be completely similar because they are very like detailed, like on the themes and the nuance and blah blah blah. It may be the buzzword match of the century, but I think anybody can have a shot at Tim. Now it's a very interesting match. I can't wait to see what happens, but I can't wait to see what happens with jacoby next because i think i think he knows where he met like he stumbled in that la the question before the speed round where he could have completely won it three one and that that's what that was hurt i just can't wait to see what comes next because i think this is like nerdgasm at its peak i think we are leading towards a really great finals and i can't wait to see it 
Absolutely. Brooklyn, what are your thoughts on today's match? Uh, yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Uh, this is my first time ever really seeing Kirk, Kirk debate. Um, and I saw a lot of myself in Kirk in terms of like him just being able to work on the fly and really sort of creating the, creating an argument as, as he went. Um, and I think that was really, I think that was really ingenious in terms of like, especially the speed round question. Um, I think that was really, really good considering like Green Lantern, I think, I think for all of us was sort of like the, the sort of the, the obvious choice. Um, so I, I, I am, that and and I think sort of to, just to sort of copy Cody, I'd love to, I'd love to take on Kirk because I think we I think we would have similar styles. Um, Kirk might actually get me out of the old retirement home to to come back and debate. That sounds awesome. All right, uh, we're gonna go to today's winner, Kirk. Uh, you you pulled out the win there at the last second of the speed round. How do you feel? Um, I feel uh, I'm surprised to be honest. Um, I know what kind of debater Jacoby is, um, but I just don't know what kind of personality Jacoby has. And I knew it was going to be hard to overcome. I'm, I'm not. That's I'm saying that in a positive I know, way. I know. Um, it just sounds funny. Yeah, but I but the kind just just his personality, uh, the way he takes on any conversation um i knew it was going to be hard to finagle my way around that um so come bring it out the i mean i honestly didn't expect to go the speed round so bring out the win i'm kind of shocked um and you know jagroby's a great fighter and uh, i'm glad to get a win over him again he still hasn't beat me yet and i know that's killing him uh but uh yeah uh it was a great fight uh, absolutely. How do you feel about taking on Robert Parker in a number one contenders match here in debate? That's I've never seen Robert debate, um, but I'm assuming he takes this serious as he takes the trivia. Uh, so that I'm going to have to go back and check it out and see and, and kind of strategize. Um, but I know I'm in, you know, for the for the fight of my debate life. Uh, and but you know, check your watch, Parker. It's time. Let's do this. All right, uh, we will go over to our unfortunate loser today, Jacoby. You played one hell of a game. Uh, how do you feel about your uh, your performance today? It is written in the stones that I will never beat Kirk at anything. There's no, I've, I've, I won't beat him in trivia. I won't beat him at debate. I've gone to his house, tried arm wrestling him a few times, and he beats me there too. So it's just no. But uh, sure, we got passionate and 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 go back and forth in this match. And you said like, I wonder if these two really hate each other. I I I really respect and admire Kirk, even though a lot of his opinions are wrong about everything. Um, but and I love talking with him, and it was a really fun debate. Even though I'm just a sweaty mess right now, it was a lot of fun to do. Um, and I, you know, I'll be back to, to debate even more. I, yeah, as Cody said, I, I know what, what went wrong as, as my debate style and everything. And I'll, I'll be back and go later. And I hope Kirk takes it all, you know. Uh, absolutely. But uh, with that, that's going to do it for Nerdgasm today. So for everyone here, that has been our winner today, Kirk. That's been Jacoby. That's been Brooklyn. That's been Cody. I have been Caleb. And this has been Nerdgasm. See you later, bitches. Drive safely.